even at Google, where we do have the two specializations of research and design, we still work so collaboratively together. I describe us as like two sides of the same coin. So you should be involved in research, whether or not it's your core job. Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode, I talk with Christy Fisher about gamification, UX research, and the future of cloud gaming. Christy is a staff UX researcher at Google working on Stadia, Google's recently launched cloud gaming product. And formerly, she was working as a UX researcher for gaming at Microsoft in context of the Xbox. In the conversation that was done during Interaction 20 by XDA in Milan, she shares how to gamify digital experiences her workflow collaborating with designers, and what excites her about the future opportunities in cloud-based gaming. I really enjoyed the conversation with Christy and I hope you will too. Enjoy. I'm here at Interaction 20 with Christy Fisher. Hi, Christy. Hello. So you are a staff UX researcher at Google, working especially on the Stadia yep. program. Uh, so this is going to be super interesting. So we're going to talk a little bit about cloud computing and cloud gaming and what does it change for UX and design working on these production services. And um, you got quite a bit of experience working in the gaming sector since uh, you also work you worked at Xbox, right, mm -hmm. at Microsoft, prior to your job at Google. And you also have a PhD. And so I think this is, a, I guess, like a, a great background to, to work on uh, such proxy services, because I think there's an interesting intersection between cognitive science and design. And I think we can dive a little bit into this intersection. But maybe, you know, in your own words, you can talk a little bit about why you got into UX research, uh, a little bit, what was your drive behind that and your motivation and why you're interested in, in the field? Yeah, of course. I didn't really know that UX research was a thing when I was in college. Yeah. I went to get my PhD in cognitive psychology because I wanted to be a professor and study the brain. I ended up leaving academia to go into tech because for a couple of reasons. Primarily, I learned in grad school that what I really enjoyed was learning about people and how they think in order to apply it to something. So in order not just to know, great, now we know something more about people in the brain, but what can we do with that information? And I realized that that happened a lot more quickly outside of academia and in, um, and in the industry setting. So that's what got me interested. Also, I just happened to be in grad school during the 2008 financial crisis, and there was just a lot more jobs in tech than in academia when I left. So it kind of, you know, the world, the world came together and, uh, stars aligned and I went into tech. Mm -hmm. What excites you especially about game design or that space? Because maybe you got quite a bit of experience now in that space. Mm -hmm. So there's three things that are really exciting to me about the gaming industry. First is the sheer scope of it. A lot of third-party Data companies like Nielsen and Nuzu estimate that there are billions of gamers in the world and something like 70% of Americans age 13 and up play video games in some capacity. And 
games industry now in terms of revenue is bigger than movies and music combined. And so when you think about that and the importance it has today, and that importance is only going to grow in terms of an important part of media and entertainment. So the, the sheer scope of people you can influence as a designer or researcher in the space is really interesting. Another thing that's really interesting to me, well, First of all, it's super fun. I should have started with that above anything else. But in terms of the interesting challenges, the scope is interesting. Also, the interactivity is really interesting. So games have really transformed from something that's just a linear experience of, you know, you play through this campaign as this character, you pass all these levels and then the game is over. That's no longer the the typical game being made. So if you look at a game like Fortnite, which has something like 250 million registered users now, and for a lot of young people especially, it's really become their social hub. So it's not just about playing the game. It's about having this community. It's about interacting with people all over the world. It's about this shared experience. And if you also look at things like esports, right, that are replacing more traditional sports in terms of the shared interest and shared identity with people all over the world. The level of interactivity that games can bring is really interesting as a designer and researcher. And then lastly, technical innovation. So games have been a main driver of new types of human computer interaction over the decades. So if you think of things like VR, AR, gesture inputs, motion gaming. So a lot of these new types of interactive experiences have either started with games or after they've existed, games tends to be the first use case that they go to. And then Stadia now is bringing new, it's, it's innovated on how cloud computing works in order to enable games, but you know that could have ripple effects elsewhere in the industry. So because games is often kind of at the tip of the spear, I find it a really interesting space to work in. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think people sometimes underestimate the sheer scale of gaming. I mm-hmm. mean, like how many people are doing it. You know, I d- did also quite a bit of, you know, research there. And, you know, I think it's interesting also looking at China. I mean, how popular it is there. And I think what's also interesting is, you know, to, you know, the whole topic of leisure gaming as well. So I think it, gaming moved a little bit outside of the nerdy area of, of gaming into something that is quite more accessible, especially to mobile experience. I think the gaming category and app stores, people spend the most money on and one of the most popular one. I think that's why I think also Apple has now its own tab, I think, just for gaming in the app store. So super interesting. How does that, uh, the topic of multiple devices is changing maybe also you work as a researcher because you know the way people then consume the experience can be quite different right yeah of course it's something that we're thinking a lot about and trying to be really careful about as we move forward with games on stadia so five years ago the accepted logic was if you're playing something with touch input on a phone, that's going to be an inherently casual or limited experience. But again, games like Fortnite or games like Clash Royale have changed that where they're showing that for Fortnite particularly, you can have a quote unquote triple A shooter experience that's governed with touch controls and have those people kind of be part of the community with everybody else. And it's it's a little bit of a different experience. It's slightly limited, but not that much. And that's one of their biggest endpoints is, is mobile. And, and even games that aren't, 
you know, moving a character around in a 3D environment like Fortnite, um, but even games like Hearthstone or Clash Royale, where there are very, very deep game mechanics. And it's a very complex game. It's not necessarily casual. So even though it's a very simple input method, it's still a very complex game. So it's really challenged us in the games industry to rethink the typical definitions of like, oh, well, if you only play games on your phone, you must not care about games very much. You must be very casual. You must just want a very simple experience. That's that's no longer an assumption that we can make. And so we are thinking about how we're, we're thinking about how realistic it is or how easy it will be for us to design games that not just work on multiple work on multiple types of screens, but like, you know, could perhaps take in multiple kinds of input when we're thinking about what that really means for us. And and because you're not just thinking about different sizes of screens, you're also thinking about different contexts that people are in. Yeah, there's a lot for us to consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it took quite a, quite a bit of time, or you could also say maybe not so much time, but when I think mobile experiences start to you know come out, mobile gaming experience, for quite a bit, there was quite a gap between what you could offer on a desktop mm-hmm. or like a, a big screen experience. It was what you can do in a mobile. And I think it's very much to the limitations of interactions. But, you know, since there was so much work on like in terms of like how can we make it cross-platform, right? What kind of interactions could work? And then how do you need to limit the game maybe also for the desktop experience, but still make it uh, pleasant in order to make it cross-platform? I mm-hmm. think super interesting. I was wondering a little bit about maybe some of the, the other design disciplines you collaborate with and how is this transition going from UX research to mm-hmm. design? Yeah, so at Google, UX research is tightly integrated with all the other disciplines. So in Stadia, like in gaming specifically, we're going to collaborate really, really closely with the production team, as well as the game designers, artists, technical people, as well as the like any UI UX. In the rest of Google, it's a little bit, you know, there, there aren't game designers, but, you know, still we're very embedded with the, the core team. So, you know, an engineering lead, UX design lead, UX research lead, product management lead will all kind of be in the same room working together and making decisions. And it's no, no different in, in games, even though we're kind of in early days with that at Google. But we are, so the idea is that any key decision that needs to be made in terms of what we're going to be building in a game, how we're going to be building it, how we're going to assess the experience. That's all discussed collaboratively. So even though everybody has their own expertise uh, that they bring to the table, we're all kind of trying to work together uh, to make great games. So yeah, we collaborate with every discipline. Yeah, super interesting. I think what's also interesting, if you are doing your extra research at Google in the gaming area, a lot of the content is actually coming from third party, right? Obviously, you have to design the... The whole framework and you maybe introduce principles or interaction principles you maybe give as guidelines for the um, third-party providers or the, the other content providers i'm wondering a little bit how do you connect your ux research on cross-platform mm-hmm. gaming and transfer that knowledge to the content producers because that might be you know that might be a lot of different companies right yep so we think about the different people we work with as first party, second party, and third party. And so for third party, that might be a game like Red Dead Redemption that we have on Stadia right now. And we typically aren't doing like embedded UX research with them, but the UX team, both designers and researchers might help them bring their game to Stadia and 
maybe help them integrate with any exclusive features or anything unique about Stadia that they have to take into consideration. Second party is we're a publisher of games. So we have our first second party published game, which launched with Stadia called Guilt. And for that, it's like we are partnering with a small studio and, and funding their game essentially. And then first party is something new for us. So we just acquired a studio called Typhoon Studio um, in Montreal. We announced that in December publicly. And uh, so now there's going to be actual Google employees making big AAA blockbuster games, hopefully coming soon. So we are, so now we're kind of working in multiple areas. And so for the way that we are going to be doing research and working with first party is going to, of course, look very different than second party or third party. And for first party, you know, we're, we're going to be a, a core team member for third party. As I mentioned, it might be lighter touch. We're just sort of like helping them here. Right and integrate. Mm-hmm. If you be interviewing some people, does it happen that designers maybe also join these in order to get a better idea of what they need to execute afterwards? Or? Yeah, of course. So if we're going to be, and I'll just, I'll speak to gaming, but this is yeah. true for any product area at Google. So if we're going to be doing usability study on a game in an early prototype phase or a play test, typically my first step as a researcher is to sit down with the design team, sit down with the technical team and ask like, what, what do we really want to learn and have a discussion about what we want to learn and how we want to learn it. And then oftentimes in, in real time, they're observing the sessions. And then after each session, we'll have a debrief and we'll kind of whiteboard solutions to any issues that we saw or whiteboard new things we could create for opportunities that that we notice that maybe we're missing an opportunity to add some fun here or to really delight or surprise a gamer in a in a fun way. So yeah, it's it's very collaborative where they're participating both in the planning process and in the research itself and then we're all discussing together what we think we can create based on what we observed in the sessions. Are there any projects you worked on in the past? Maybe, ex- I mean, obviously you could name Stadia probably now, mm-hmm. but, you know, maybe some experiences where you really had the feeling through the collaboration of great UX research and great user experience design, you could really drive impact and make a positive change to a product or service or for the, the end user in general. Yeah, I think there's two products that come to mind that I think I'm most proud of from my time at Google. One is Stadia. So research was there at the very beginning. It was actually the head of UX research at the time who, or she's currently the head of UX research at the time she was working on another product, but it was her in combination with a few folks on infrastructure engineering who really worked together to conceive of Stadia and and push, uh, try to get momentum to make it happen. Uh, so research was involved with Stadia at the very beginning as, as a core team member and stakeholder. And I think that it really shows, especially in, in this coming year, as we hope to really continue growing and showing what the promise of Stadia is. And the way that we worked collaboratively and came up with some of the innovative features that we announced when we announced Stadia, such as things like state share and crowd play on YouTube. And yeah, so I'm very proud of how research has influenced Stadia and continues to be a core part of Stadia development. The other thing I'm really proud of, and I think is a good illustration of collaboration between research and design and also data science and machine learning science is the People Plus AI guidebook, which is what I'm here to talk about at IXDA this week. And that was, again, sort of a side project that came together from a small group of us that ended up involving over 100 contributors across Google, but it was an effort to synthesize everything that we had learned internally, primarily from 
the UX standpoint, but also involving our, our other disciplines, is an effort to synthesize everything we had learned about designing good experiences with machine learning and AI. And of course, this is something we're still learning about, we're still iterating on it, but we came together and put together a resource that is available publicly. Um, and that's something that's that's hard to do, right? And I think it's it's important for us to share what we've learned with the rest of the world because in some ways Google's AI capabilities are a competitive advantage, but when it comes to designing really good experiences for people, that's not something that I think we need to keep to ourselves. That's something that's important for us to share. Mm -hmm. well, super interesting. And uh, yeah, I saw the talk you, you did yesterday. It was really great. Really looking forward to dive into uh, some of the learnings. There. So, uh, you know, going back to this intersection between UX research and UX design, what are some of the The, the challenges you maybe you know figured out in the process when it comes to this transition. Some things that you know could work better or a little bit tricky always when when it comes to the transitions between these two parties basically. Between research and design working yeah, together. Yeah, between UX research and UX design. One of the challenges in games specifically is that with something like um, a chat app or an assistant app or something like Gmail. The goal of the product is fast, easy, seamless, helpful. So it's all about reducing utility, yeah, utility and, and reducing friction and increasing productivity. And so even if it's a even if the design needs to be, even if there's a lot of iteration involved, and even if there are a lot of interesting design challenges or technical challenges of, of getting to that point, at least the goals are pretty clear. When you're dealing with a game, the goal is not frictionless. The goal is fun. And fun is much trickier and harder to quantify. And games more so than utility app are a creative endeavor. And you can't You can't science, you can't put too much science into a creative endeavor. Like I'm not going to be able to do some research and then tell you here's the formula for a perfect game. That's just not how it works. So we have to, as researchers, be very collaborative and very clear about what sorts of questions we can answer through UX research and what sorts of questions are ultimately a creative decision or ultimately, you know, not something that we can you know, put it, put a data point on. And that can be, that can be a little bit challenging, but ultimately I think it's really exciting and a really fun problem space to work in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, and I think it is also this aspect of creating artificial friction, you know, sometimes yeah, because I guess that's the difference if you design a game versus designing a calendar app, which is like utility driven versus, you yeah, know, at sometimes Xbox, this. Oh, yeah. at, at Xbox, we had this joke where we would say like the, the, the most usable game in a world in the world would be a big red button where it just says press here to win, but nobody would want to play that game it wouldn't be very fun so yeah, yeah. um so it, yeah games <laughs> games do involve challenge and friction and then my my job then is to make sure that it's the right challenge and the right amount of friction and the right pacing in order to achieve that goal of fun that the design team has. So when you try to you know work on that story of what the user is going through and you know try to implement these frictions and I think you you were mentioning something interesting about like you know sometimes it's like also up to creative decisions but you could could use your research in order to see what the output is of that creative decision and I'm wondering a little bit about the aspect of try to measure emotions for users and the aspect of designing emotions I mean you could You could you could steer it towards a certain emotions. It's very hard, but I want a little bit about your learnings in in that space. Yeah, I unfortunately am not able to 
share how in, in detail how yeah. we try to assess emotion, but it is something that we do try to do. And we are currently working on really evolving our, our methods for doing that. It's, it's proprietary, it's not something I can talk about, but yes, the, a key part of research generally is uh, for, for games is to understand what are the emotional states that you're trying to induce in a player? What, what do you want them to feel? What do you want the experience to be like? And then once we've established our goals, experientially and emotionally for the player, then it's our job as researchers to try to measure it throughout the development process and figure out, are we meeting those goals and why or why not? And what can we change in the game or in our, in our vision for the game to, to help get to that point? Mm -hmm. Maybe just from your, from your own personal perspective, do you have specific overarching emotions you see in games? What, what kind of emotions are we talking about? Can you point out certain aspects you, you learned that are so important when, it's, when it comes to designing games? Well, I think if you ask somebody like, what are you, what are you likely to feel when you play a game? They might mention the emotions associated with some of the most popular games. So maybe something like excitement or thrill, but there's such a wide range of games that are out there and they're getting more diverse every day. And so with some games, the goal might be for you to feel sad at the end. For some games, it might be for you to feel very contemplative and, and wistful. In other games, you might want a sense of wonder. So there really is no one single emotion that makes for a good game. The one thing I think is common is that games often try to achieve a cognitive flow state where the user is very immersed and they are very, you know, kind of like losing a sense of time and, and just feeling very in the moment. But that's also the same for, for many of the experiences that we design, right? Like we want the person to be able to just be in the moment and be in a state of flow and not feel confused or interrupted or, or anything like, for example, even when you're using a productivity app. But of course we want that in games too, because the whole idea is it's, might be taking you away from your day-to-day -day reality and into this fun new place. What's interesting there is actually that, you know, very often these things are also unconscious, right? The actual reasons are quite unconscious, right? They may be not even appearing to the user when he thinks about like why he likes something. Yeah, and that's why we often need to triangulate across multiple methods. So sometimes it's asking people, sometimes it's observing, sometimes, you know, there are, there are other tools that people can use. You know, there are biometric tools, there's eye tracking, and there's just, there's a lot of things available for researchers to, to look at this. And so sometimes you need to put together, put together lots of different data sources to really get a sense of like, what are you experiencing right now? Sometimes you can just ask, sometimes you have to do some other things. You know, if you consider topics like ubiquitous computing and argument reality, and I think you can take a lot of these learnings that are happening in gaming and apply them more and more into other areas as well. Do you have any experience with this about like, okay, how do we take, for example, like uh, some learnings when it comes to designing games, you could really apply this also and say, how do you design argument reality? experiences or how do you can design experience in, in other fields? Yeah. So the, I mean, obviously there's this concept of gamification, but I think that's a little bit different than what you're asking. There's been a, a trend off and on over the last few years of, you know, how do we gamify our product to try to enhance engagement? So, you know, offering people a badge for achieving certain usage milestones in the product. I think that's a little bit different those are often like surface level 
mechanics from games that that people are adopting in hopes of increasing engagement or changing some behavior in the product. Sometimes they work, sometimes they only work short term and not long term. I think if you dig a little bit deeper, what other products can learn from gaming is figuring out what are the the small elements and the big elements that can really get to delight and get to these other emotional states. So I think because games are focused on trying to achieve certain emotions and experiences in people, that's what other products can take away. So if they start with what, what do we want people to experience in this product rather than what feature should we have or how can we use this technology? If they start from a really user-centered point of view, but at a deeper level of, of emotion and experiences, I think that's how we can really bring what we learn in games to other product design. What are some of the things you are really excited when it comes to the future of, of games and the things you can maybe influence moving forward? Yeah, what's most exciting to me is that games in the cloud is so new and I it takes a long time for developers to designers to really wrap their heads around the full capabilities of that. So at, when we announced Stadia at the Game Developers Conference in 2019, the tagline we used was something like the Google Data Center is now your development platform. And so now we're saying to game developers, including ourselves as new first party game developers, what does it mean to have no constraints, technically speaking, over the game that you can build? And I don't think anybody has a super clear answer to that yet, because it takes a little bit of time for people to play around with it and see what can be developed. So for example, think about how much multiplayer gaming has evolved since the early days of, of Xbox Live, you know, in that early kind of, you know, or even before that with like LAN parties and having kind of one-on-one -on -one or maybe a group of four multiplayer. And now you have these massive battle royale games and MOBA games where you're playing with hundreds of people from all over the world. And so, you know, it takes time for people to see like, oh, this thing is possible. Multiplayer is possible. And then really figure out how to push it to its limit. And I think we're at the very early stages of figuring out, okay, cloud gaming is possible. Now, how do we really push it to its limit? And I'm really excited to see what everybody comes up with in terms of just the new types of gaming experiences that can be created with this tech. Mm -hmm. How about other devices and how other frameworks? Is this also something you maybe look forward to? Because at the moment probably much screen-based, but you know, I think there could be also, also other platforms where you could introduce the aspect of cloud gaming, right? Yeah. And even, even now, it's an interesting design challenge to figure out. So we have this concept of like play, pause, resume where you might be on your phone mm -hmm. and then pause the game and then go pick it up in your living room. And, and that's a, that's a whole new way of, of experiencing a game that we haven't really had to consider in, in game design before, where you could just assume that somebody's kind of sitting in one place for X amount of time, if they're playing on a console or kind of assume that, you know, they might be on the go when playing on a mobile phone. So yeah, I'm excited to see, um, you know, what, what other, what other screens uh, we, we want to bring Stadia to. I'm excited to see how that changes game design and maybe how we can really embrace the, the flexibility of the, the, the mobility of the experience and incorporate that into design in an interesting way. Again, it's all very early days, so we don't have examples yet of like how all this stuff has 
is being used, but I'm really excited to see what people come up with. It's quite a new field, but a very exciting field, I think, for a lot of people. You know, what would be your advice for people who want to maybe shift towards UX research, in, in specifically in the game area? The advice I give to people who want to get into user research in general, and then I'll talk in a minute about games, is in general, I hear a lot of people, especially students or people who are freshly out of school, feeling trapped in that paradox of you need experience to get experience. Mm -hmm. And the advice I always give there is to do work for free. There's not, if there's, if, if you're a student at a university, there's probably some other student at that university who's building an app. So find them, see if you can do some design work or some research work to help them with their, their effort is, is, does your department have a crappy designed experience somewhere, probably. So help them out, <laughs> volunteer. And then you can document that. And now that's experience that you can put on your resume. The other advice I give is, I personally think it's more valuable if you if you are a student to choose an educational field of study that is that is a more foundational one. So something like psychology, art, math, ethnography, rather than a, a kind of boutique degree that's tailored to the current processes and tools in use in the tech industry today. And that's because the processes and tools that we use are always going to be evolving and changing. But if you, if you build the, the foundational skills of critical thinking, experimental design, application of aesthetic principles and theories, then like those are going to be very flexible skill sets that are going to always be relevant no matter how the industry changes. So that's for getting into UX, generally speaking. For getting into games, the primary, it's, it's a very, games is a competitive field. A lot of people want to work in games because it's fun. And again, I'd say just be really, really good at being a researcher and being a designer first and also play a lot of games and play them with a with an eye of play them through your lens of, of design and research to you know have, have something meaningful to say about them when you're asked and maybe as a, a last question sometimes it's it's part of a ux designer's role also to do ux research i want a little bit about your point of view on that yeah i think it's great to have research no matter who's doing it and the Ability to focus on research versus to focus on design. It's just, it's a specialization that I, I know that not everybody has the luxury for, but that doesn't mean that designers doing research isn't a good thing or that they're not doing good mm -hmm. research. I think the only challenge or, or possible pitfall for designers to keep in mind if they are the ones that have to do research is to you know, make sure that you're giving the adequate time and space to really understand what the user is saying and really peel back the layers of, of what their needs are and what the opportunities are, what their issues are, rather than trying to jump straight to a solution. That's the only pitfall I see. But generally speaking, you know, even, even at Google, where we do have the two specializations of research and design, we still work so collaboratively together. I describe us as like two sides of the same coin. So You should be involved in research whether or not it's your core job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes supportive. sense. Yeah. Okay, so I think we need to wrap it up because of time, but you know, thank you so much for, for sharing all your, your insights and it's been really a pleasure to really dive into gaming and uh, UX research in that area. So thank you so much. Great, thanks for having me. That was the episode. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website. We love to hear from you.